0: Grab a seat and turn to page 888 in your church Bibles. And this evening, we're going to have a bit of a think about the issue of pride. And Elvis Presley can help us with this. Elvis Presley says, If you let your head get too big, it'll break your neck. If you let your head get too big, it'll break your neck. And in our chapter this evening, we see Neb as a man full of pride. He thinks that he is a self-made man. He thinks he's God of his world and that is what pride is all about. The pride of Neb is thinking that he is self-made, that he's done it all himself, that he's the sovereign, he's in control. Uh, The dream we read about in verses 9 to 18 was a warning of his problem and he must repent. Because pride like this puts you in God's firing line. Or as Elvis says, if you let your head get too big, it'll break your neck. He must take Daniel's advice. Just look at Daniel's advice in verse 27. Therefore, O king, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be then that your prosperity will continue. The dream was clear, there can only be one God. And it seems that maybe for a while Neb gets it, doesn't it? And he starts to realise that maybe he's not a self-made man and it's a whole 12 months later until it all goes horribly wrong. Look with me at verse 28. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. 12 months later as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon he said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? He's not learned. He should have known better, shouldn't he? And we've seen it all throughout Daniel up until this point. In chapter 2, he had a dream, a dream of kingdoms where his kingdom would be crushed. Last week we saw that God can rescue from the furnace, that God is God and he's the one who can save, even from Neb's hand. And just before, 12 months before this, he had a dream where God made it very clear that he is God and Neb is not. Neb should have known that God is in charge of the kingdoms. And so his speech is incredible in its kind of egotistical, boastful pride he looks at his kingdom from the rooftop of the palace and he swells up. Is this not the great Babylon I have built as my royal residence for the glory of my majesty? How blatant. And maybe you think, well, Neb's got kind of good reasons to think this. I mean, he's got a massive kingdom, hasn't he? Lovely hanging gardens, huge armies, slave servants galore. He looks at it all and he starts to believe that lie again that will persistently not go away, that he is a self-made man. This glorious kingdom that he believes is in charge of. He thinks he is God. He's forgotten the dream of the tree. And the big point the dream was supposed to tell him, just look at verse 17. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict. So that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets them over the lowliest of men. The dream was clear. Neb was supposed to understand that God is the Most High. He is the sovereign one. He is sovereign over the kingdoms of men. God is the one who gives kingdoms. They're God's deal do with as he pleases. And those who God gives a kingdom to have responsibility to rule them rightly under God's kingship. God is the source. Everything, and I mean literally everything, comes from God. If God is the creator and he makes everything out of nothing, then everything must be from him. Makes sense, doesn't it? So, Neb's kingdom, his palace, his royal residence his majesty, his hanging gardens, his slaves, they all come from God. They're all borrowed, if you like. They're all given by God. God is the source, not Neb. Everything, and I do mean everything, that Neb has, has been given. And that's his kingdom. Think about it. Um, Neb was born to his father. I'm going to try and pronounce this name. His father was called Nabopolassar. Correct me later, um, if you want. Um, He was born to his father, Nabopolassar, who just so happened to be the previous king of Babylon, making him the successor to the throne. And God had placed Neb at this point in history, but God could have placed him anywhere, couldn't he? I mean, he could have been born to Trevor and Rosie Houghton at 62 at the Switch Road, just a few years ago. And he would certainly not be king of Babylon then. A poor family, there is not much education in sunny Lowestoft. He would have worked a quiet life and would have made nothing of himself. He would have had no kingdom to rule or any royal palace to view it from. He would be a nobody, just like my mum and dad. <laughs> hi, Mum, Hi Dad. There tonight. <laughs> now, Neb didn't build Babylon his royal residence. He claimed, "This is the Babylon I have built." but it's on loan. God has given it to him. It's a borrowed kingdom. And God is the one who gives kingdoms and he takes them away. His pride reveals that he thinks he's the source. He thinks he's the source of his kingdom and God isn't. But Neb must realise he hasn't earned this kingdom, he doesn't deserve this kingdom, it has been given. God is in charge. Everything, and I mean literally everything Neb has, has been given to him by God. And glory. Neb thinks the purpose of this kingdom he's been given is to bring glory to himself. He thinks the spotlight is on him. He thinks this kingdom is his fame and his renown. Yet just like his kingdom, his glory is given and his glory is borrowed. I don't know about you, but I love watching The Apprentice. Um, each week, um, a group of people, a business people, in inverted commerce, do business tasks, and um, they try to compete and see who would win. And at the end of the task, um, it comes to the boardroom, where Sir Alan Sugar um, sort of decides he's going to fire one of them. And at this point, the kind of glory squabble begins. If anyone's done something good, everyone wants a piece of the action. Um, They Basically, people will steal glory from other people. They will blatantly lie and claim they did something good when they had no part in it at all. And that's just what Neb is doing here. God has given him this kingdom and he claims the glory for himself. His glory is borrowed. God should be glorified through Neb's kingdom. Neb steals that which belongs to God and attributes it to himself. Neb says, the kingdom and the glory are mine. But no, the kingdom are the glory are God's now and forever, aren't they? Well, what about us? Uh, we can look at Neb and think he's a bit of an idiot. We can be very tempted to think, well, I'm not like that. And we've probably got a lot less reason to be as cocky as Neb, haven't we? I mean, none of us rule a ruler kingdom, do we? But I think we could be very tempted to start believing that persistent lie that we are self-made men and women, that we've earned our nice lives. Am I not Joe Houghton, built 173 Graham Road as my royal residence for the glory of my majesty and the fame of my name? It's so easy to think that everything we have is ours and we've earned it or deserved it somehow. Our great intellects, our wonderful bodies, our great skills, our wonderful GCSE and A-level results. We think we've earned these, that we are self-made. But we forget just as quickly as Neb that everything, and I mean literally everything we have, is being given to us by God. Whether it's brains or bodies, skills, Whatever it is, whatever we have has been received from God. We are not self-made people. This is the reality we must begin to grasp. Neb says, is this not the great Babylon? I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. He asked the question and the answer is this, no. Neb, you are not the one with mighty power and glory. You are not a self-made man and you are not in control. I must tell that to myself. Joe Howen, you are not the one with mighty power and glory. You are not a self-made man. And that is true for all of us here at Christ Church Forward. We are not self-made men and women. We are made by God in every sense of the word. This is the reality we must get to grips with. God is the giver, God is the source of everything, and I mean literally everything we have. We're completely dependent upon him. He is the Most High who is sovereign over the kingdoms of men, and he gives them to whoever he wants. Well, Neb's pride couldn't last long, could it? And so the humbling sovereignty of God, verse 31, the words were still on his lips when a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from the people and ate grass like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. Pride comes before a fool. Or as Elvis Presley puts it, if you let your head get too big, it'll break your neck. God demonstrates to Neb in the clearest, most possible way that he is sovereign over the kingdoms of men. He does it by turning Neb into an animal. I mean, Neb's fall from power is huge, isn't he? He's the ruler of the known world. He's the king who looks strong. He seems to be the provider for all the nations in the dream of the tree. And yet he ends up like some kind of eagle-cow crossbreed which doesn't sound too hot, does it? I mean, just imagine if this happened in our country. If David Cameron, if you walked past the fields out in the Mayfield Valley and you saw him on all fours, hairy and eating the grass of the fields. And you may think he kind of rules the country like a cow, but that's a different discussion. I don't think that necessarily. But this is the kind of picture, this is the ruler of the known world. This This is the David Cameron, this is the Barack Obama turned to a creature. This really happened. I mean, how humbling for the ruler of the known world. I mean, how humiliating. From, From king to creature. A weirdo, an outcast, nothing to eat except the grass. God turning Neb into an animal is showing Neb Who's in charge? God is the Most High, not Ned. Pride is one of those things which is kind of dehumanising. Because we're creatures. We're made to be creatures. It's good for us to be creatures. Made in God's image. At the start of the Bible, in Genesis, the order was God, man, animals. But what went wrong in Genesis 3? Well, you had the animal, the serpent ruling over man who decided to rule over God. That's what pride does. It flips round the right order of things. And Neb was not in his right place. He thought that he could elevate himself above God. Pride places man on top, which is not where he was made to be. Pride just reenacts the fall. And so God lets Neb know who is sovereign. And he goes from top, Neb does, to the bottom very, very quickly when God gets involved. Neb is humbled. And see, every leader of every country around the world will one day have to answer to God. Just look at verse 27. God is holding Neb to account. He says, O king, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be then that your prosperity will continue. See, Neb's problem was he got rid of God off the top rung of the ladder and he put himself in charge and he thought he could do whatever he wanted. If you get rid of God, then, well, there's no boundaries, are there? If you're in charge and you're the only one that matters, well, you can do what you like. And so what does he do? Well, he oppresses. He oppresses the poor. He's wicked. He's evil. Isn't that not like so many kingdoms around our our world? Where people who have risen to the top make themselves right at the top and then treat anybody how they wish. That's what pride does. Pride will mean you'll devalue everyone else around you. Because you're the only one that matters. It's all about you. I've been reading a book recently. i called Free of Charge. Um, giving and Forgiving in a Culture Stripped of Grace. It's recommended by the Archbishop, but I don't know that put you off. It's a very good read. And um, One of the things i was read, I was really struck by a quote. Um, it's talking all about the world and the way it is. And now it's on the screen. It says this. It says, God gives so that we can exist and flourish. But not only for that, God gives so that we can help others exist and flourish as well. God's gift aims at making us into generous givers, not just fortunate receivers. God gives so that we, in human measure, can be givers too. The reason God gives out kingdoms to people is so that they would help others to exist and flourish. That's that picture of the tree, isn't it? Wonderful, flourishing. And yet, Neb's not done what he's supposed to have done. He's oppressed the poor. He's been wicked. He's been evil. And so, God, in his sovereignty, humbles Neb to a creature. God says it would happen in the dream, and it does. Of course, it does. God is sovereign. He's the Most High; what He says goes. And Neb lives like an animal for for a period of time. And this can show so clearly to the all of Babylon that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men. He gives kingdoms and he takes them away. He can do as he pleases. He's the Lord, the sovereign Lord. And anyone who puts themselves in competition with him is putting themselves in danger. Eternal danger. This episode with Neb is there to show us that God can and he will take everything from them. He can humble even the most tyrannical of kings. Well, finally, humbled Neb sees reality. Just look at verse 34. It's a massive slice of humble pie. Verse 34. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honoured and glorified him who lives forever. What a turnaround. See who the spotlight on is now for Neb? He finally gives glory to the one who it belongs to. He acknowledges that heaven rules and not him. It seems up to this point in Neb's life, he's he's always sought his own praise and his own glory. And yet after God humbles him, he, he gets it. He seems to see reality properly and clearly for the first time. There is a God in heaven who is more powerful than he, There is a God in heaven who deserves all praise, all honour and all glory. And so he praises him and honours and glorifies him. I think this part of the way is one of the most amazing bits. Because here we have Neb, a tyrant, a nation-conquering murderer, a cruel and oppressive dictator... Seemingly evil to the core, a hopeless case, a Gaddafi, a Hitler type, if you like. And yet God is powerful enough and gracious enough to humble him so that he would know him. He comes to saving faith, it seems to me. This chapter is written by Neb himself. He longs for the whole world to know what happened to him so they might acknowledge that God is the most high and sovereigns over the kingdoms of men. God can humble even the most unlikely. God's grace is sufficient even for the most unlikely. Just look at verse 37. It's, it's staggering, isn't it? Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. What a turnaround. What an amazing turnaround. Instead of self-worship, he starts to worship God. After four chapters of God's patient and steady revealing of his sovereignty, he finally worships God. Once pride is gone, praise can enter in. Once pride is gone... Praise for God can enter in. This awful dictator is humbled so that he might know God and praise and worship him. And I think this should be our prayer for the leaders of countries around the world. If God can do it for Neb, humble him, then he can humble them too. It's a massive prayer, isn't it? For the leaders of our world, for people like Gaddafi for the president of Iran, for Kim Jong-il. A huge prayer. But if God can do it for Neb, then maybe he will do it for them too. He will humble them and bring them to worship him instead of themselves. This should be our prayer for our bosses at work, our teachers at school. This should be our prayer for ourselves. We need to see this reality and be humbled and acknowledge once more that God is most high and sovereign over the kingdoms of men. To give the glory to the one who it belongs to. Just look at verse 34. He understands his kingdom rightly. His dominion, he says, God's dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, What have you done? Finally, Neb understands that his kingdom has been given and the only kingdom that matters is God's. God's kingdom is the eternal kingdom. God is in control. God can do what he, as he pleases. And Neb is happy to say it. Joyful, even. This is reality. This is the reality we must be praying that all the leaders around the world embrace. That their kingdoms are temporary and God's kingdom is an eternal one. See, God will either humble the leaders of our world and bring them to worship Him, or He will humble them and get rid of them completely. And we'll see more of that next week. Just look back with me at verse 17. It says, The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of men who is the one who God has set over all things well it's none other than the son of man Jesus Christ himself isn't it he was the one who had all glory in the throne room of heaven wasn't he and yet he humbled himself willingly and came down to this earth didn't he The creator became a creature. From the throne room of heaven to the dirt of the earth, he limited himself to a body. Uh, But he went lower still, didn't he? He humbled himself to death, even death on a cross, a criminal's death. He gave himself for us. And then he was raised and risen and ascended And he's ruling the nations even as I speak. And one day he will come back and the whole world will bow the knee to him. His act of humbling himself means that proud people like Neb can be forgiven. And proud people like us can be forgiven. But one day he will come back and to those who do not bow the knee, they will bow the knee but unwillingly because it will be impossible for them not to because he is the glorious, risen, ascended king of the universe. And when he comes back, people like Gaddafi will bow the knee. Kim Jong-il will bow the knee. David Cameron will bow the knee. We all will bow the knee. And so the question is, are we going to do it now and willingly? Or then, kicking and screaming, wishing we had done many years before. See, our prayer must be that Jesus will break the pride of the leaders of this world. That they would acknowledge him as the sovereign one, sovereign over the kings of men, and he has set over us the lowliest of men in his son. That they would bow the knee and us with them too, knowing that in that king's hands we are safe. Our prayer must be that God will humble the leaders of the world and bring them to know him, so that just like Nebes, we'll see in chapter 7, he will start to rule as someone who images God properly. So why don't we close and pray to that end, for the rulers of our world and for ourselves as well. Let's pray.